as you look at the image of the divine mercy, you see the blood and water flowing out from the pierced heart of Jesus. And the blood represents the Eucharist and the power of all the sacraments, the cleansing power that's given to the sacrament of reconciliation that we commonly call confession. But the water is the cleansing water of baptism and uh, reconciliation or penance, confession. And they're connected. Speaking of the image of divine mercy, I'm going to address many of the images that are present to you uh, that's, that's given as a gift, and I'll get to that momentarily. I want to give you things that you can take away from this retreat for your life. And before going to the images of this holy space, I would like to address the Chaplet of Divine Mercy because of all the many beautiful writings of St. John Paul II that we were enlightened by and, and continue to be enlightened, and it will take hundreds of years to understand the depths of those teachings, we really remember how a person prays. Their prayer summarizes their relationship with God, as does ours. And not a lot of words are necessary because God is the word and we're supposed to be receptive, receiving the word like Mary, who's known as the holy soil of the church to receive the word. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, the word can become flesh <clears throat> in our lives in the way that uh, is appropriate to our, our relationship with God. But in the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, on the Our Father beads, we pray, Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. What are we offering right there? We're offering the Most Holy Eucharist, right? the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Christ. What a privilege as a priestly people in the common priesthood of Christ that we're baptized into to be able to offer the Eucharist to bring mercy upon the world, and this world needs mercy. And so we offer the Eucharist, but in my reflection on this chaplet, uh, I connect it to Holy Thursday, as I, I mentioned yesterday, and then the strength going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the first decade, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And I'm thinking about our Lord in the Garden. Thy will be done. Fiat voluntas tua right in the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord is sweating blood. He's so passionate about wanting to glorify the Father. Remember, that's the first movement in the Mass. And that's what the Lord is doing on this altar right now. He's glorifying the Father, first of all. And then he's also bringing graces to all of us by his presence through that offering. Whenever I have challenging circumstances in my life, when I know I'm going to go to the cross, and uh, that can take many forms, but let's say I'm having to encounter someone who has real emotional or psychological or mental challenges. Uh, that's a, a, a difficult um, service of charity. I pray that mystery of Jesus in the garden, asking for the grace to be able to pour my life out and fulfill the Father's will in that challenging circumstance. 
To love, I need to pray. That's it. And to become poor, entering into the poverty of that very person I'm praying for. That's, that's where the most powerful prayer is. I've learned that. To pray from other people's poverty. I learned that through the missionaries of charity. I used to pray, you know, I, I used to pray like I'm way up here and yes, I'll pray for you down there in my benevolence to all of you. I mean, do you want me to pray that way for you? Yes, I will, I will honor you with my prayers. Or do you want me to get down into a oneness, a union with you and pray with you? Empathy, sympathy, compassion. That's what Jesus does. He enters our poverty. He entered into that cave and in the birth in Bethlehem, and I'll talk more about that as I talk about the Eucharist in the Rosary at another conference. But to enter into the poverty of those I'm, I'm to love, and then I'm able to love with God's grace. So I offer the Eucharist, but I cannot enter into the poverty of Jesus who empties himself. I cannot enter into the charity of Jesus who gives all of himself for the good of the other. Without the Eucharist, I need the Eucharist to go to the garden where I'm asking for the graces to continue in the Paschal Mystery. Now, let me note, this ties into where we are right now. I, remember, I, 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 sh I shared that my hope this weekend, and for every weekend of your life, every Thursday... At about 5 o'clock, please remember the Lord's Supper. Try to remember that. Try to enter into that. And try to then follow him to the garden and his betrayal and being arrested and mocked and tried and imprisoned and then brought up in the morning for more trials and then scourged and crowned with thorns and tried. You know, he had five trials, Annas, Caiaphas, right? And then Pilate, Herod, and Pilate. But uh, the way of the cross, and then ultimately being on the cross for those three hours, and then going into the tomb, <clears throat> but rising. And the Paschal mystery is our life. And the Paschal mystery is the Eucharist. And we can't go into the, into the Paschal mystery, which is our life, without the Eucharist. So I offer the Eucharist to go into the garden, to pray, to love. And then I offer the Eucharist again. Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. So then I can go to the scourging at the pillar and give every part of my being to God. Every part. Every single part belongs to God that's being torn away from me. It all belongs to God, but I can't do that on my own. I can do it with the strength of the Eucharist. And then I offer the Eucharist again, and I can take the crowning with thorns and let me share with you one of the great insights I have with the crowning of thorns when I, I under, came to understand that real prayer, the power, most powerful prayer is when you enter into others' poverty and then you pray for them. That's where the charity enters into. You enter their poverty, their powerlessness. Most people won't admit that they're powerless. But it said that the whole Roman cohort was there mocking Jesus. They crowned him with thorns, spat upon him, slapped him, put a reed in his hand, mocked him, blindfolded him, so forth, so on. But Jesus, while he was there, what did he do? He entered into their poverty. 
You see, the Roman soldiers, all they knew was violence. They didn't know anything else. That's what they were trained in, violence. And when you think about it, that's pretty poor. That, that's, that, that's great poverty. If the only tool in your toolbox is violence, that's poverty, right? If the only way you know how to respond to things is with violence, that's pretty poor. But there's many in this world, that's all they know. They think that's power. That's not power, that's poverty. Love is power. <laughs> love is power. We're talking about love made visible. So I, I need to enter into that poverty of the very people who think that they're powerful using violence in various forms, terrorism in various forms. It could be emotional or psychological terrorism or violence. And uh, I enter into their poverty and I pray for them. But I can only do that with the power of the Eucharist. Because I enter into Jesus in the Eucharist. And he's the one who's praying. I cannot do these things on my own. Please don't try to fight temptations on your own. Enter into Jesus. He already has the victory. He went to the desert, for example, and he, he overcame all the temptations. And he went to the cross and he crushed the head of Satan. He has the victory. Stay in him. You're baptized in him and, and, and you can receive the Eucharist. You let him just manifest his victories. But mostly you let him manifest his love because love conquers everything. So I offer the Eucharist and I can then be crowned with thorns. And remember that, you know, thorns were the consequence of original sin. Remember that, you know, man was to take care of the Garden of Eden. But after sin, he would earn his bread by the sweat of his brow and the earth would yield thorns. So the Lord took those thorns on his head to make up for, you know, unfaithfulness, disobedience, sin. I can only do that when I have the strength of the Eucharist. So I go back to the Eucharist. You see, Holy Thursday is connected to Good Friday. Or the evening of Holy Thursday going into Good Friday. <clears throat> then I offer the Eucharist again to go on the way of the cross. I could spend this whole conference just on the way of the cross. Fulton Sheen's uh, way of the cross is so beautiful. Uh, I'll just note that the three falls of Jesus, he, he, Fulton Sheen mentions that the first fall is due to the flesh. Or Jesus, you know, he, he, he experienced uh, this for us. And, and the flesh falls brings us down to the earth on our belly. The second fall is the world. The world tends to call us down to the earth, down to our belly, right? And the third was the devil. The, our three enemies, the flesh, the world, and the devil. But Jesus conquered them by getting up and going forward. But, you know, after that third fall, he had no more strength. But he had love and the desire to glorify the Father and save mankind. And he was going to get that cross to Calvary no matter what. And I'll tell you what, that's where the church is right now. We need to get that cross to Calvary. And we need to get up there on that cross because we need a great purification. And we can only do it with the strength of the Eucharist. The Eucharist, because the Eucharist is Jesus. Body, blood, soul, and divinity really, truly, and substantially present. So to carry the way of the cross. And on the way of the cross, Jesus meets his sorrowful mother at the fourth station, the united hearts. And our mother's always there, the mother of Jesus. So she's the mother of the Eucharist, because Jesus is the Eucharist. 
and then were nailed to the cross after being stripped. Let me say that the tenth station was my, even though I, I always loved the fourth station uh, as my personal devotion, and, and all the stations are so dear to me, the tenth station as a seminarian was so important and continues in my life because I need to be detached. I need to be stripped from things that hold me back from loving. I can be, so I can be free to love. But then I can go forward and be nailed. That's my promises or those who take vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. And uh, then the great prayer of Jesus on the cross is seven last words, the greatest homily he ever gave. But I, had to, I have to offer the Eucharist to go to the cross. So the strength of the Eucharist is connected to the entering into the, the sorrowful mysteries of Christ, the passion of Christ. St. Teresa of Avila talks about the importance of having a relationship with the sacred humanity of Jesus in, in the journey of holiness, because that's the way the Father chose to make his love visible. So we imitate his sacred humanity. And meditating on the passion of Christ is one of the key elements of holiness. Poverty, humility, obedience, the virtues, but meditating on the passion of Christ and putting up with the faults of others. That's, that's important as well. That's part of love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We'll talk about that passage from Corinthians 12 and 13, because that's the Eucharist. The Eucharist is patient. The Eucharist is kind. The Eucharist does not brood over injuries. Uh, I'll go into that as well. But you understand the, the, the chaplet of divine mercy, you offer the Eucharist, and then you can go into the passion. But you have to keep drawing strength from the Eucharist. So the Eucharist, the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, is the source and summit of our life. But I like to say it's the source, the center, and the summit of my life. I draw my life from the Eucharist, that is Jesus. And Jesus, who, who's the vine, draws his life from the Father. So as, the, as Jesus draws life from the Father, so I draw life from Jesus because I'm just a branch on the vine. And I'm supposed to bear fruit in the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Most Holy Eucharist is the source of my life. He's the center of my life. I try to center in what I hope is, a, in, a, in a way, a monstrance within me. You know, I hope we all become walking monstrances. That would be so beautiful if we were all walking monstrances. That's, that's why God gave us bodies, to carry Jesus, you know. And part of the walking monstrance is this. It's, it's funny, that the more I just do that, everybody just laughs, but we all know, you know, the importance of a smile. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta talked about the importance of a smile. I mean, it communicates so much. God gave us bodies to communicate. Most of our communication is nonverbal, 70%. And most of it's in our face. That's why John Paul II talked about contemplating the face of Christ in the school of Mary, in the rosary, and for the whole third Christian millennium, when he wrote uh, Novo Millennio Inunte, uh, this whole thousand years, you know, it's contemplating the face of Christ and going forward, putting out into the deep. But a smile goes a long way. And uh, 
we have a lot to smile about. We have the greatest Lord, God himself, who loves us so much that he assumed our human nature. What exceeding charity. In the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, to deliver from the law those who were subjected to the law so that we may receive our status as adopted sons. Wow. Galatians 4.4. 4. It's amazing. You know, that would be, it would be like if I loved, uh, and, and, and I, I taught yesterday about love, so it's not proper to say that I love dogs because I can't desire the highest and best good for the dog. I can thank God and bless God for creating dogs. They're wonderful creatures, but I can't talk to a dog about the dog's dreams and desires and, you know, uh, and, and, and the dog can't advise me on how to fulfill my dreams and desires, even though some people might think that's possible. Um, I don't think you're going to get the answers you need. I think you'll get the answers before the Lord in the Eucharist. And, uh, but if I cared for dogs so much that I said, I'll go become a dog, that would be pretty, you know, that, that would be a great sign of my, my, my care and concern for dogs, right? The distance between me and a dog is less than the distance between God and us. God is God and we are creatures. I'm a creature and a dog's a creature. Okay? So the point is, what exceeding charity for God to assume our human nature and enter into our poverty. The exceeding charity to be born into our humanity and assume our human nature. And then... To go to the cross, no greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Talk about love made visible. Every time we look at a crucifix, such love. And I urge you, when you look at the crucifix, look right into that pierced heart of Jesus. I know of this one retablo where, where Our Lady of, is sitting there at the cross and her hands are like this and she's, look, she's right at eye level with that pierced heart. And she's looking right into the heart of Jesus. And there's so many mysteries that are revealed in that heart of Jesus. And she's the one who shared with St. John those mysteries, what it meant. The mysteries of his heart. John placed his head on the heart of Jesus at the Last Supper. But Mary, who John took into his home when the Lord, in his love, gave us Mary as our mother, she helps us understand the, the mystery of love. Love made visible, gazing right into the heart of Jesus. And that's what I want you to do in the Eucharist, because the same child that's born at Christmas, the same child that grows and goes to the cross, is the same who's the one here on the altar. The Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus, God himself who said he would not leave us orphans, but would remain us, with us always. And he's coming again, but he's with us. And thank the Lord, because if we did not have the Eucharist, we would have the Gospels, thanks be to God. But in a way, if we only had the Gospels, we would only have, in, in a certain sense, a nostalgic memory I mean, the, the word of God is living, so don't, don't, don't take me wrong. But the word of God is living. But we'd be reading the Gospels. But to have the living presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ? This is the same Lord, you know, who, who is with, with his apostles. And, and first with the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Uh, uh, and, and, and first with God. Because in, 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 he's the second person of the Trinity. But we know that only the second person of the Trinity assumed our human nature. So, substantially, this is Jesus. But where there's Jesus, theologically, there's a technical word, concomitantly, 
concomitantly, there's the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because when you receive Jesus, of course, he's, he's in union with the Father and, and the Holy Spirit. And so you receive the Trinity, but you're receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, who's really, truly, and substantially present. But thank the Lord for this real presence, the real presence, not a, just a nostalgic presence. But everything is hidden behind the veil of bread and wine. And it takes faith for us to penetrate the mystery. And I'll talk more about that, God willing. Faith, hope, and charity to penetrate the mystery later, later in, a, in a conference. But then again, when you think about that fact, that, that he hides himself under the uh, appearance of bread and wine, even though we know it's uh, no longer bread and wine. The accidental properties, accidental properties are like shape and size and weight and color. Those remain, but the substance is taken out of the bread and wine, and the substance of Jesus by a miracle is placed in to the consecrated host and the consecrated wine. And it's Jesus. But when you think about it, what a gift. Because if, if he didn't veil himself somewhat, we would be terrified to approach him. Right? If he was here in his, I mean, he is here in his full majesty, but he's here so he makes himself approachable. Just like when he was born in Bethlehem, he made himself approachable. Who's not going to approach a little baby with his arms out saying, I love you? I mean, the wisdom of God, Right? This little baby saying, come to me, I love you, but I'm your God, and you can embrace me, and you can, you can talk to me, and I'm listening. I'm seeing you, and I'm listening to you, and you can ask me for what you need, and I urge you to ask for eternal life. If you had one thing to pray for, one thing to ask for, what would be that one thing you should ask for? Well, I already gave it away. Eternal life, right? I mean, you know, I, 14 years ago, I had a hit, total hip replacement. I don't ask the Lord, you know, please just miraculously get rid of my hip replacement and let me have my old hip back so I can play basketball with the youth and evangelize them and do the things I used to do and and relate in a way that, that, that was powerful. That had its place in time. You're going to hear in the first reading from today, everything, you know, there's a time for everything. I'm just happy I can walk and carry the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, I would rather have eternal life. And that's what also what I pray for others, because what, what I want for myself, I, I, I should want for others, Right? So the most important thing I can pray for other people is eternal life, to be with God. But here in, in, in the Eucharist, you know, Thomas Aquinas says to receive the Eucharist and Holy Communion in a state of grace, and that's the only way we can receive him in a state of grace. You know that, but it's a foretaste of heaven. On this earth, the communion with the Eucharist Lord is the greatest gift we can receive on this earth after our baptism, bringing us into the life of God. What a great God to make himself really, truly, and substantially present to us. So now I want to talk a little bit about prayer. You see, to enter into this mystery of the Eucharist, the only way you're really going to enter into it is through faith, hope, charity. But, you know, we, we talk about those things, faith, hope, charity. I want you to go, come away from this retreat with a living encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ with ways that are going to change your life forever. For example, remembering every Thursday to enter, try to enter into the Last Supper and try to follow him through the Paschal Mystery all the way to the resurrection on Sunday. And if that means only taking one aspect of the Paschal Mystery, let it be. Live the whole weekend 
in the agony in the garden or lived the whole weekend in the resurrection. Lived the whole weekend carrying the cross or lived the whole weekend um, uh, uh, praying that Father forgive them for they know not what they do. That's something that will change your life. Understanding the chaplet of divine mercy, offering the Eucharist and going into into the passion of Christ. We call them the sorrowful mysteries, but it's the passion. He's a passionate lover. Passion and sorrow relate because passion does mean sorrow or, or suffering, you know. Pope Emeritus Benedict talked about the passion of becoming human, truly human, and Jesus Christ is the one who reveals to us what it is to be truly human. There's a passion. There's a, there's a, there is a suffering in becoming truly human because the old person that inherited original sin and had actual sin and, and has been conditioned by the world needs to die. We leave that person in the tomb and we come forth in the resurrection. That's all in the Eucharist. But we know that there's a distance between where we are and where we need to be, right? We all know that. Let's admit it. I know there's that distance, and I have to face that distance every day of my life. And in a way, that's, there's a suffering there, right? I'm not the person I want to be. But I know with God, all things are possible, and he's gonna, it's his work. It's his initiative, He's the one seeking me. It's his desire. Because the Father loves to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to see Jesus. Mary loves to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus in all of us. That's their joy. So it's their work. So I just need to respond. <laughs> but there's a passion. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta described her life in, in, in this way, in, in a summary form. She said her life was to love, suffer, and save souls. I think that's all our lives. Love, suffer, save souls. But she said eventually when you love so much, the suffering disappears. I haven't reached that point yet. <laughs> but I'm going to keep working at it. Pray for me. And by the way, there's a lot of people praying for you including uh, a bishop. And uh, other bishops are aware of, another bishop's aware of this retreat. And uh, you're in the prayer of a lot of people, uh, including our Blessed Mother. Uh, again, we thank you for responding to God's call. But prayer, to enter this mystery, you must have the gaze of love. I would propose to you that the heights of contemplation are really based on two things. One, to have the loving experience of God, the loving experience of God, and two, to live in the contemplative light. Okay, these things sound high. But again, anytime you have a living encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have that loving experience of God. Not relating to a book Jesus, but a living Jesus who looks at you with love the same way he looked at Matthew with love. He looked right into Matthew's heart and it changed his whole life. To go beyond appearances, when you allow Jesus right now in the Eucharist to look right into your heart, and as I said, your heart to be open to his, during this retreat, I, 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 I hope you learn to just, in a way, just open your heart to Jesus. Just, here you go, Jesus. Here's my heart. I'm tired of hiding things from myself, but above all you, because I know you see them. So here you go. I just open my heart to you. You do with it what you want. You're the heart surgeon. You work. You know how to do it. Surgeries. Difficult. I know a thoracic surgeon. One of the first things they do is they take a tool that's similar to a chainsaw and they got to open up the chest cavity. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> they have all kinds of tools. 
But why don't we just, you know, open up the heart and let the Lord work? Let him into your heart. God willing, I'll talk about the miracle at Lanciano where they did the study, uh, you know, a, a scientific study at Lanciano on the Eucharistic presence of our Lord. And, you know, they found the, the, the heart, the particles of the heart. But remember, the heart represents the center of the person in the, he, the thought of the Hebrews. It's, it's the center of all of our being, from our emotions to our thoughts, to our will, to our affections, our desires. That's what the heart is. We're not just talking about the organ of the heart. But his heart talking to your heart, your heart talking to his heart. So those are some of the things I want to share with you this morning. I'm going to talk to you in the conference at 1.30 about how much God loves you. I'm going to start with that because you can't go forward until you really know God loves you. I have given... So many retreats, and I've come to realize people cannot go forward until they really know God loves them. And we're always going to have that little bit of insecurity because of the fragile nature. We're made from the dust. You know, the reason God made us from the dust, he's so wise, is to keep us humble. Humus, the root of humility, means earth. God created us from the slime of the earth to keep us humble. Remember, we came from nothing but yet we're loved by God. So humility and love go together. If you can enter into that silence I shared with you yesterday, when you're, in your silence, you enter into the great charity of God. This is known as the sacrament of charity. Cardinal Burke, Raymond Burke, actually wrote a book on the Eucharist called Love Made Flesh, the Sacrament of Charity. I smiled because it's very similar to this retreat, Love Made Visible, <laughs> okay? And I'll, I'll be sharing some of the things, like, he, you know, he even addressed how the Eucharist is the answer to marriages, living in a covenant. I'll get to that. But what I'm going to share with you at 1.30, to start with, are seven reflections from Sister Mary known as Mother Angelica, on a journey into prayer, seven realities of God's love for you. And if you can accept these seven truths of God's love for you, then you can go forward in this retreat. So as I come towards the conclusion of this conference, I'm... I'm also going to bring in a couple quotes on the most blessed sacrament. Why do we go to adoration? And I'll do this over time. But I want to share from Pope St. Pope John Paul II. This is the wonderful truth, my dear friends. The word which became flesh 2,000 years ago is present today in the Eucharist. And so now, we, let's look at all the gift of, of, of what God's giving you. Everything's in divine providence, right? God is God. We say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, right? In the creed. That's our faith. That's a great exorcism prayer, by the way. We don't say, I believe in God, the sometimes almighty. I don't say, I believe in God, the one who's almighty when he wants to be almighty. I don't say, I believe in God, uh, partly mighty, uh, but sometimes sleeps. <laughs> I believe in God, the Father almighty. I believe. By the way, Pope Benedict said that the whole journey of the Christian faith is in that first letter of St. John. We, we have come to know and believe in the love God has for us. He says that's the whole Christian journey. Coming to know and believe in the love God has for us. This love made visible. 
It's a journey our whole life. We go deeper and deeper coming to know and believe in the love God has for us. The more living encounters you have with Jesus, the more you have that loving experience of God, then you're going to be living in that contemplative light. You're going to be living like Mary, pondering on these things, seeing them in the light of love. God speaks the language of love. God speaks the language of love. That's his language. We need to learn that language. That's his logic, the logic of love. It goes contrary to what, uh, you know, a lot of the logic that's proposed to us in the world. But let's look at just even, you know, we need sensory things. God gave us a body. We're not controlled by our senses, but we're given sacraments because they're sense-perceptible signs that effectuate what they represent. We we in our humanity need sense-perceptible signs, right? We We need it. God in his love gives it to us, right? Water in baptism has you know, evokes, evokes so much for us. You know, we know we, we, we get thirsty and we need water to quench our thirst. We know that water cleanses, and that ties even to the sacrament of reconciliation, which we call confession. I mean, imagine not taking a shower for a year or two or three you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been 50 years since my last confession. I'm so happy when that happens. All of heaven's rejoicing. So I don't say, wow, you haven't taken a shower in 50 years. But that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the water you know, life and, 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 and cleansing and, 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 uh, and a flowing uh, out to others. When we hear in the sacrament of reconciliation or penance, those words, you know, of absolution, we, God gives that to us because we need to hear it. We need to hear Jesus speaking those words of absolution that your sins are forgiven. So I can come out and say, I know my sins are forgiven. We need it. I I tell you, the people who say, well, I take my sins to God directly. I I do. I take my sins to God directly immediately. But I also try to go to confession uh, at least least every two weeks, uh, preferably every week. As a matter of fact, when I was a child, that's what we did. My mom, you know, we all went to confession on Saturday, right? My mom knew how to to try to keep peace in the house. Um, but the best was to send us to confession every week. And, uh, you know, it brings peace and it brings grace and, and, and strength against future temptations as well. But the sacraments are sense-perceptible signs. There's different definitions of, this, of the sacrament, but, you know, sense-perceptible signs that effectuate what they represent. They, they convey grace and they're established by Christ. We have senses. We're not to be governed by our senses because we have higher faculties, our memory, our intellect, our will, but we're body, soul, and spirit. The senses are to help us climb to God. So what are the sensory things that you're given right here as a gift? You know, just look, look around. Because this is something that also I hope you take away from the retreat. Okay? You know... Right away, we have the crucifix, the, the, the passion of Christ, no greater love. You're looking right into his heart. You have the Blessed Virgin Mary with the child Jesus. You know, I talk about the word becoming flesh. But right here, uh, you have on this ambo the word. I shared this with you last night. Jesus is the word. But the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. St. John's prologue, chapter 1, verse 14. Verbum caro facto est, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. First of all, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the second person of the Trinity. But in the fullness of time, first chapter of John, chapter 14, I mean, verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you have all this given to you right here. It's just so perfectly laid out. But you also have symbols of the angels adoring God. 
That's significant. I'll share with you that in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, when we say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That helps me get ready to really enter into the sacrifice. Because there's, you know, for me as a priest, I'll share with you, there's two parts to it. The first statement, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. So there's your angels. I mean, the angels, when Isaiah had the vision of heaven, remember, and eventually he said, send me. But first he said, I'm an unclean man with un, you know, unclean people with unclean lips. And then there was a, a coal taken from the altar and put on his lips. And, and you know, then he was sent. But in the train of, heaven, uh, of God seen in the vision of heaven, they said in, in Hebrew, gadosh, gadosh, gadosh. That was the Hebrew, which means holy, holy, holy. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. Okay? Gadosh, gadosh, gadosh. When something is said three times, unique. No one else is like that. Only God is holy. The holiness of God in heaven, the eternal liturgy, and, you know, the Mass is really the book of Revelation right before our eyes. That's just a little side note. I don't have time to unfold all that for you, but that's it. Or the vision at Nock. That's another side note. But holy, holy, holy helps me remember, you know, whose presence I'm in. And then, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When was that said? Remember in the scriptures, when, when was that said? On what we call Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday, right? As Jesus entered into Jerusalem, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we know what happened after he entered Jerusalem. You know, it's not about us being made kings and queens. We're going to go where? To the cross. But there's the angels reminding us. You know, there's two things that humans can do that the angels can't do, that the angels wish they could do, because humans have bodies and angels are pure spirits. What are those two things? Most of you know the two things they wish they could do. One, receive the most holy Eucharist and two, suffer. If you only knew the value of suffering, angels can't do that. But angels do just observe. I mean, can you imagine the, the angels, just the way they looked at, you know, glory to God in the highest and peace to people of goodwill. I mean, singing the praises of God and in the way that God humbled himself, emptied himself, and assumed our human nature to be born in Bethlehem. But then even more so when he's on the cross, I mean, the angels who adore this beautiful face of God just had to be like... just amazed at this love that God has for human beings. I mean, what a great God. The angels learn about how great and holy God is by, by understanding how much God does for us, little humans that offend God. <laughs> and this God who's right here on the altar, the angels adore him. Wow. So you have the angels right there in a pose of adoration of the true God in the tabernacle. So, so you have this sanctuary. You have the word, and the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. You connect it to the child Jesus, to the crucified Jesus, to the Eucharistic Jesus. But then you have the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's God, so she's the mother of the Eucharist. And I urge you to also remember this beautiful tapestry, Love Made Visible. That's the theme of this retreat. And, and please get a, a copy of the, the teaching by Bishop Conley on Love Made Visible, Eucharistic Adoration. Okay. 
but we adore the sacrament of charity. Love made visible. And then it's going to give us the strength to have a rosary crusade. That's what the world needs now. And I'm going to talk about the Eucharistic rosaries at some point during this conference. But take in what speaks to your heart above all the Eucharist. Again, I'm just going to keep coming back to heart to heart. Heart to heart, heart to heart. If that's the only thing you take away from this retreat, living a heart to heart relationship with Jesus as the source, the center of my life, and the summit of my life. He's the summit. There's no higher goal that you can reach, no higher reality than having communion with God Himself. To live the fullness of your baptism, to fulfill God's will in your life. To live the Eucharistic life, the source, the center, and the summit of your life. Don't get distracted by anything else. And so, those are the things I wanted to share with you in this conference this morning. Remembering, as well, the chaplet of divine mercy and the image of divine mercy, because it all connects to the Eucharist. And how you're going to live your life. Because the purpose of this conference is for you to live your Eucharistic life. The mystery of your Eucharistic life. That's the purpose. That you're going to make love visible. That's it. Right? It's not to come here and hear me and say, oh, I I heard some great things. But but what was said? Um, Were there any recordings? No, there's not. Um, This is God speaking to you. And unfortunately, I need to use a lot of words. Uh, I've already spoken. (laughs) I will share with you. I remember remember giving a, a, well, kind of a nine-day retreat, but an eight-day retreat to some very holy sisters in a place and and really, you know, worked hard and sacrificed and um, really felt that, the Holy Spirit gave me a lot of things to help them. And then to show their gratitude, they would always make a little card and sign it. <laughs> and on the front of the card, they had a picture of Mary holding the child Jesus. And it said, Behold the silent word. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> I have the responsibility to use words and convey words, but, you know, my words are limited. Behold the silent word. Behold your God. And let him talk to your heart and your heart talk to him.